Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in. It is Tuesday evening, December 15th, 2020, and I'm your host, Tanya Hathaway on Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB FM Lighthouse Christian Radio, if you're listening in Oklahoma. Um, as many of you heard, and I know this is why uh, you're you're back because it was a great show on the whistleblowers um, show that Marty put together last week uh, and asked me to come on and, and, you know, it's just been, there's been so much that has led up to uh, these wrongful convictions and these issues with the prisons and the abuse um, inside the prisons and the whole system, you know, it just seems to come full circle. Uh, you know, and it it comes from the top and it trickles to the bottom. So anybody who says, geez, you know, it goes from the bottom up, I just don't think so because that's where oversight comes into play. And tonight we're going to talk about that oversight. And DJ Vodica, along with his attorney, Lonnie, Lanny Tron, forgive me, Lanny, are here to continue the discussion that we started with uh, DJ last week, and he had a fierce force and somebody who knows rights well with him that came to his side when nobody else would. And Lanny and I had the opportunity to speak for a little while yesterday, and I had goosebumps just in the manner that he referenced DJ as just a man of integrity and everything that he had gone through and their friends and their family and whatnot. And so, you know, he's not just his lawyer, he's his friend. These birds of a feather flock together. Good people who stand for what is just and right. And uh, that being said, DJ... Can you introduce yourself and just give a brief overview um, about your book and um, and what you overall did? And we will get into the discussion even deeper, and then we'll ask Lanny to come on because I really want this to be a very open forum for you guys to bounce things back and forth. My uh, my name is DJ Vodica. Um, I'm the largest whistleblower to ever expose corruption behind the prison walls in the California Department of Corrections. Um, uh, by rogue prison guards who call themselves the Green Wall. Wow. Tanya, if I Tanya, if I may, this is this is uh, Lanny Tron. Um, DJ is is far too modest. I I think what what 
DJ did was something that all of us in our lives at one time or another come to a crossroads and have to decide what we're going to do about that. Now, DJ could have easily taken the, the, you know, the easy way out, turned a blind eye to everything, but that's not who he was, and that's not who he is, and that's never going to be something that he passes on to his kids and to my kids and just to, to everyone out there who sees something wrong and wants to do something about it. It's, um, it's, he's, again, Tony, he's far too modest. I mean, no, this well, is clear, a, clearly, clearly, this is a, yes. a, a man <laughs> who, uh, whose job was to guard the worst of the worst, uh, people with life sentences, people with nothing to, um, really do with respect to, um, their lives other than stay in prison and he cared enough about them to blow the whistle on abuses that they were suffering i mean most of us send uh, or care about prisoners very little you know they did something wrong and they should be sent to prison and then we just we just let him be dj believed he had you know it, it was his job to make sure they were protected because they were human beings and they were entitled to the respect and fair treatment and equality that all of us so righteously want in our lives. And there he was put in a hard spot and he blew the whistle. And for that, he thought, okay, well, I, you know, I should be okay. I should be able to just live my life and, and my career with the Department of Corrections. His life became... I, I can't even describe to you uh, about how f fearful his life had become, so much so that he cared for me, he cared for his his own son, and, and had his son just moved away so that his son wouldn't have to suffer any retribution. And anyone around him, he just... he. He, uh, DJ isolated himself for fear. There was a lot at stake, wasn't there? No. Uh, for, well, for, the, for those yes. that he was whistleblowing on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. yeah, an awful lot at stake. And, uh, and, and again, you know, uh, you had mentioned uh, some of, you, you know, the likes of some of the people that, that you were in contact with and, I, I believe it's throughout the country. Um, you're not carrying anything but a baton or, or, and the spray. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. I mean, that's that is correct. On the on the level four yard where I worked at, most of my whole career, most of the people in there, eighty five percent are in for murder. They're not going to see a day of light at home. And uh, we officers, all we carried on the ground were uh, everything a cop that carries on his on his belt except for a gun. We carried everything like that, and then we had we had our uh, our gunners up in the top watching over us. And you hope they don't blink if something goes bad. That's correct. I mean, it's. I mean, you, uh, we were totally outnumbered. We were a thousand to one on the yard. When they, when they had a yard out, which were four yards at every prison I worked, they had four different yards. Each yard held a thousand convicts. And uh, there's probably two or three officers on the yard, and the rest are in their housing units. And 
we have one officer up in a tower overseeing us against them. So how do you feel the human approach went in the manner that you treated them? And I understand that you have, you know, the proper way that you're supposed to reference them. I think it's by their last name, correct? Yeah, uh, correct. You know, we, uh, Did the human approach provide some kind of, um, some kind of a, a relate, not a relationship with the inmates, but did you find that uh, things were, were more copacetic when you were around, you know, or were they just always upset anyway? Were they upset anyways, like the lifers? Yeah, the lifers have nothing to lose, right? And then That's I correct. You wonder, of course, there's little stuff going on behind the scenes where people are making money, too, so they, they're in bed with the, with the with the bad CEOs, too. Yeah, that's correct. You know, Tanya, when when I was in the 16 years I, I did, which I wanted to keep going to at least make it a 30-year career, but it was cut short. But, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of respect by the, the convicts and the inmates, and I treated them with respect. And, and you give them that respect, you get respect back. And they really looked up to me, and they could come and talk to me any time they want. I had a I was a kitchen officer. I had a great crew uh, when I worked at Corcoran State Prison in the SHU and security housing unit. And then once I was, I became ISU at three different prisons, uh, Calipatria State Prison and then the, the famous Pelican Bay State Prison. I had a lot of respect even as, a, uh, as an ISU officer. It's just, it's just the way you carry yourself on the yards. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I address them by, you know, I never said inmate, whatever. Said, hey, convict, or whatever. Hey, convict Smith, or hey, Smith, come over here, or whatever. But it was I didn't I didn't talk down to them or, or demean them in any way. Right, right. Yeah, and um, now, can you? I mean, obviously, you're this man of integrity, and yeah, you know, there are others that have integrity, but they just uh, fall short of doing the right thing in the same position that you were in. And um, do you attribute that to the training or do you attribute that to the code and the green wall? No, you know what? I I attribute a lot of this to my parents, how they they raised me growing up and and my family. You know, my both both parents are deceased. They never got a chance to see the outcome of the green wall and what happened to me towards the end. And they never got a chance to see the book and, and read the book. But um, before my father passed away on his deathbed, um, that I had to come home um, after Lanny told me to get on the road, your dad's not doing well. He, uh, because he you were in hiding, he said, right? He said, he told, yeah, Lanny, he told me, my dad told me his last words, son, you need to, you mean your mom, but proud of you. you, you need to write this book and share it with the world and show tell everybody what happens behind the prison walls and what these, these guys on the green wall did to the convicts and inmates and, and made their life, life even rougher while they're in prison. And, you know, and it, it took a toll on me, but, you know, I mean, I survived and prevailed and, and uh, I had great backing by uh, uh, Lanny and, and he was like a brother to me. I mean, I mean, we're, we spent so much time together and he believed in me and, you know, he's one man that took on a system where that, I t- it was me and him against 30,000 correctional officers. So the California Department of Corrections is, is the largest prison system in the United States or probably even the world. And uh, mm-hmm. when and, and me and Landy, we, we took it all the way to the end, you know, and he believed in me, and we fought hard. We, we negotiated and all that, but they couldn't come up with an agreement to protect me, and, and Lanny uh, never let his guard down. And, and, and 
to this day, we've known each other for a long time. And, uh, and I, I, you know, if you guys want to hear about a little bit of what happened to me on the story, I can share that with you too. But I can let you butt in anytime you Ab- want. Absolutely. And I want our listeners to know that, you know, you can also look on YouTube and see some of these things because I was looking and I saw you um, in an interview with um, a now-released, you know, ex-felon. And, you know, these people respect you. They respect you. You know, it's like this, these are the kind of people that are supposed to be there. You, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's just tremendous. So go right ahead. Please do. Lenny, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think what's uh, the, the other important fact to remember is that the size of the Department of Corrections and the amount of weight that their union polls um, were impediments to, 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 and barriers to DJ being able to feel confident um, that he was going to get protection when he blew the whistle. Um, the, the Department of Correction, as DJ said, is 30,000 correctional officers, but it's it's also a burgeoning industry, and they have lots of prisons, and that's, you know, it seems to be the, the way to, to treat a crime is to just put everybody in prison. Well, that doesn't necessarily work out so well if you don't have correctional officers like DJ Vodica, and, and there's, a, there's another uh, one of DJ's supervisors, Joe Reynoso, absolutely impeccable qualifications, uh, the most honorable man I have met, and he probably guided DJ more than DJ will ever give him credit for. Um, but it, there, And there are people like that who want to help the inmates and want to make sure that the inmates are afforded those rights and those dignities that they should be entitled to. And... Um, Tanya, you're right. They're, they're, they're crappy things that happen in prison. I mean, they're... And, and so you, you, know, know, you notice that, there were, that the inmates' rights were not being upheld, and, and here you are, CJ, doing the right thing, and your rights are not being upheld by those that are supposed to provide the proper oversight. Now, I had a conversation um, uh, last night for a little while, with another, uh, with a, another, uh, he was an ex, he's an ex lieutenant, uh, correction officer, and you know, and, and he shed some insight for me at least where he is, uh, uh, was a correction officer, and he said it, it was very really interesting, but he said this is how they are trained. The corrections officers are pretty much brainwashed to do this now. You know, sure, it, 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 there's, there's got to be something in their gut saying this just isn't right. You know, but he said it is overall the problem with those above, creating the policies and procedures. For instance, why do you need to strip search some somebody that doesn't need to be strip searched? That's already been in, you know what I mean? Just like four instances, like re-victimize somebody that... um you know, has already been victimized or is going through trauma. And, you know, and so 
I'm not trying to give a pass on any of this whatsoever, but the way that he was expressing this, you know, I really started to understand, at least from the perspective of the state that he's in, and then he's the one who came around to understand um, that it was wrong and left. Uh, but that's why I'm asking about the training. Um, well, the training you know, other than uh, your oh, yeah. parents, which I I understand, wonderful, salt of the earth, probably like mine, <laughs> you know. But the training, what did you learn in training that led well, t- these other parents to believe they could act this way? I can speak about training. I mean, when you know, the lieutenant you talk, talk to, I mean, training, we all go through some type of training, but it might differ from state to state to state. But when we're in the academy, they, they drill it on our heads. Um, it's like a basic military academy. The, the cadre, the, 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 they, they drain it in our heads about rights and respect, and you, you never uh, agree to an inmate. You always tell them no if you don't know the right answer. So they're really drilling that in our heads. And as far as, uh, you know, that, that thing you said, why do they keep strip searching an inmate that doesn't have it coming? Well, the mentality of some correctional officers, they don't care. They just want to mess with the, the convict or the inmate to see if he's going to go off or, or, or act, act differently. And that's what some correctional officers do. And these guys on the green wall, that's what they did. They, they took it upon themselves with the backing of the warden at the prison to go put fear and intimidation to these inmates uh, at the prison I work with and when I disclosed and I blew the whistle. And they had the backing from the warden from the top. And when, they, when you mm-hmm. talk about policies and procedures, yeah, they write the policies and procedures headquartered in Sacramento. And, and if we don't follow them, they point the finger at the lower officers for doing the wrong doing. And, and yet it's the administration and the top brass doing the wrong thing. But they always have to point the finger and have a scapegoat to get out. Yeah. Well, t- yeah, Tanya, I think t- what, what, it's, what, what you have to remember, too, is the, the written policies and procedures provided to the correctional officers are not what's followed. I mean, you're, you're trained. You're trained to respect the rights, and you're trained to do this, and you're trained to do that. And if you look in the uh, department manual, you know it'll say, "Don't do this, don't do that." Um, but it's the practices that that DJ blew the whistle about the 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 green wall that decided to. Um, Add additional, you know, do have the inmates do something so that they would get additional time and they'd have to stay uh, incarcerated longer. They'd plant evidence. They would falsify reports. And um, it's a money it, machine it, too. Well, it, it certainly is. But then, you know, the green wall is gives the correctional officers some sense that they're better than the inmates, that this gang is better than the inmates, they're better than the murderers and the rapists and everything that they're, that they're meant to guard. So, Dehumanize them. Dehumanize Well, Yes, absolutely dehumanize them. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, that's the second strip church, and that's the, you know, the, the calling them convict or inmate rather than, you know, just sir or mister, it, you know, there, there's no reason you can't be um, respectful to these people. They are human beings. 
They yeah. still are somebody's son. They still are somebody's dad, and, and they, they're owed that respect at a minimum. Now, what, what DJ saw was that you're, just, you're forgetting all about that, and you're mistreating these people when you don't want to be mistreated. And, and so, you know, he reports it to the warden. The warden can do whatever the warden wants because the warden's in control of that facility. So the warden can crumple up his report and throw it out the window. He can reprimand those that are doing what he see, do, what DJ's reporting about, um, so on and so forth. In DJ's case, as DJ said, the warden uh, really wanted to, we presume, gain control of the prison. And he said, you will get, you, my selected cadre of guards, will through fear and intimidation, get control of this inmate population. And he just, the warden just let things go. And then as the loss, in the lawsuit, as we progressed and we started with our lawsuit and interviewing and conducting a deposition, we sat down mm-hmm. with, the, with the warden and we were going through the deposition on a Friday. Come, come Monday morning, we, we were going to go depose him a few more days. He'd left the country, left the country, and he wasn't coming back. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, that's very telling. That you know, and, there and was that, obviously that's very telling. And is that yeah. when? Um, let me see. Who was the? Uh, I was reading more in depth with the um, about the deposition. So, was that when? Uh, did uh, goodness, who took his place then? He left the country never to be found, or did he come back? Well, we, we're not sure if he ever came back. That, DJ, that was Anthony Lamarck, right? Yeah, that, it, was, it was Warden Lamarck. And, and, Tanya, for all your viewers and your listeners, uh, the green wall is, is in the Department of Corrections in California. Us officers wear green jumpsuits. They call themselves the 723, which is the seventh letter of the alphabet is G, and their W is the 23rd. And that's why, that's why they call themselves the green wall. Thank you for that. Yep. Thank you. I didn't. I didn't catch that. Should have done that. Thank you very much. So when when Lamarck skipped town um, and and left um, his position at Salinas Valley State Prison as a warden, a fellow that uh, came on. And DJ, correct me if I'm wrong. It was Ed Caden, wasn't it? Yeah, correct. Ed Caden was the uh, second in charge. He was the he was the chief deputy warden. Worked with Anthony Lamarck. And and he he uh, when he became warden, Ed Caden did I believe everything he could do to follow DJ's lead and try to clean up the the green wall at Salinas Valley. Uh, and I I don't know whether he was was successful or not all i know is that dj was transported out of salinas valley state prison um on an expedited transfer to get him away from the green wall and and uh and to another prison and regrettably the the retribution followed dj to that new prison um and eventually led to dj's decision to his life was worth more than sticking around and getting killed over the green wall, and, and he decided to retire. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, um, Tanya, you know, the, the biggest thing, Tanya, too, is, uh, you know, after I, I, uh, I left, right before I left the prison, I was moving to Oneida, uh, our chapter president union, which is the most powerful union in the United States and probably the biggest union, uh, he came to the prison and, and, and I walked up to him and I said, hey, Officer Jimenez, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you, Mike. And he goes, oh, he looked at me, he goes, oh, you're Officer Vodica. We've been advised not to talk to you, and he walked away from me. My own chapter president union that I, I turned to for help. Before I met Lanny, you know, I, I tried to reach out to the union, and, and they turned their backs on me. They said, you need to go out and seek your own legal counsel, and that's when I found Lanny. And, and he believed in me and believed in my story from day one and until the end. And, uh, and, well, you and, had eight file boxes, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't have a well, the warden. The, Lanny, you can talk about that. Right. The, the, um, th- there were eight boxes of investigation-related material regarding the Green Wall. And we, we, DJ Knight, never saw those boxes. We heard through the grapevine that the box existed. We demanded okay. that they be turned over to us in the litigation. Yeah, you asked production of documents, and they were withheld. Is that it? Uh, yes, they may have even disappeared. Um, we, we came to find out later um, through a confidential source that they did exist and they were in Lamarck's office and um, he knew all about this Greenwall investigation, et cetera. But um, it withheld, hidden, I, I, I don't know. I, I, we just never got them. Hmm. Um, but we did get one. We we did get one one report, which was which was pretty telling about what they knew about the wall, and what they um, recommended doing uh, about the wall. And it was as, as you said uh, earlier, Tanya. It, it's not an issue of necessarily the lowest level officers just mucking around and you know, deciding to be the green wall, it's the, the message came from the top. And and it came top down and, you know, get control of this prison through fear and intimidation. And when it we started pushing or the litigation about the green wall, this the Department of Corrections became very uneasy about the fact that we were now going to shed light on an, an issue that they knew about but didn't want the public to know about apparently. Mm-hmm. And so DJ filed a lawsuit, he testified in the Senate, um, and you know, through DJ's efforts and I'll give you some that guy that guy is persistent. DJ would not <laughs> let it go, no matter what impediment they put in his way, what threat they put in his way, what scare tactic they threw up at him. He was going to he was gonna get he's gonna get something done about this and I I laud him for that every every day that he mm-hmm. he pushed this through, and now they have training. We spoke about that earlier on the code of silence, and that there there shouldn't be a code of silence, and you know if you see it, then say something, and so on and so forth. Again, you know it's our it's our hope. I think DJ's hope and my hope and Joe Ranoso's hope that they literally f- follow that procedure, but. You know, I I'm cautiously optimistic that they are doing that, 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's certainly Antonia, some. Uh, Go ahead, DJ. Yeah, hey, Lanny, and Tanya, in, in the book, what Lanny referred to, that report, that and you read it, Tanya, the report is the OIG report that's in the book, and that's, mm-hmm. that's a full report report in the book, along with uh, there's another report, the, the corrective action plan that was in the book. So everything I put in the book, I put names in the book. I, I put everything in the book. I, to the I last love it. Dot and, and then you know what? And Lanny goes, let me read it, DJ. So Lanny read it. Him and his wife read it. Lanny's wife is a lawyer and a great person and and she read it and everybody read it till I had it published and I self-published it I control the rights to it and um you know if anybody ever wants to you know they they're talking right now there's a possible feature film on on the story but um we'll see what happens I with hope that so. but, um, I I hope so we'll, and that yeah, you have control we'll over see. that because you have control over the rights but you know well, I mean it go ahead I'm sorry No it's just it's just uh it's not a, it's not the way I wanted to go out, but you know, like my parents raised me, and Lanny met my mom and dad before they passed, and and they they raised me to tell the truth and, and not to turn a blind eye. You know, one the biggest thing is when I when I graduated the academy in 1988, uh, my mom pinned the badge on my chest, and uh, and then I had to raise my right hand and take the oath. I, I didn't take an oath to, to hear the code of silence. I'm against the code of silence. I mean, anybody who, who stands behind a badge, you know, and, and, and adheres to the code of silence and commits wrongdoing needs to be uh, punished. And like I said, not all correctional officers or law enforcement, law enforcement are bad. It's just that select a few and make it hard. It's hard on people to, to do the job. Right. And 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 I'm reading here in the, uh, you know, in the deposition, how, you, you know, you you came back, you hadn't seen somebody, you know, a fellow. Um, corrections officer who appears you, you seemed like you were friends in three years and you, you, you had anticipated a, you know a hello how you doing even a handshake and nothing I mean what was that like for you I mean it, it was pretty clear that um, you know there was some coaching that was going on or am I wrong here uh, Lanny with that <laughs> you know do you feel that it was this was like a well-oiled machine because you had a few years to prepare for this, and that means they did too. Right, and, and it, it's certainly difficult to go up against an institution, especially an institution um, which you're claiming is engaging in wrong, wrongdoing, and mm-hmm. permitting the wrongdoing to go on, ratifying, as, as it were, ratifying the wrongdoing, uh, turning a blind eye, sweeping out under the rug. And, and so the, uh, it, it became evident that it was going to become um, DJ's word and the documentation that he had saved uh, mm-hmm. to bring the, the case to court. Um, you know, unfortunately, like I said, we had some confidential sources that provided some documentation to us, which was which was very helpful. It's just um, people believe in doing the right thing, right? And here's an instance of the in, the intimidation that that DJ faced, and it's it was um, something I had I had never experienced before in my life. Um, I visited prisons, and you know whether it was to protect a potential client or to check out uh, the location or, or whatever in, in our law practice. But 
DJ was headed to a hearing on a matter in which he believed he was threatened at a state fair in California uh, by another uh, prison guard. And so we walked, uh, first of all, there are no handguns, and this is an old prison, and so everyone had to disarm, and they, you put your guns in this bucket, and it's a rope and bucket, and they pull it up to the guard tower, and they, they store your weapons up there. Our kick, as it was, uh, you know, that was pretty, pretty intimidating because just the number of handguns, that, the number of people that were going to be at this hearing, and I could hear the clanking in the bucket, and I thought, oh, for God's sake, oh, DJ, what have we got ourselves into? And then we walk into the hearing room, and again, DJ, I, I was scared. DJ, you couldn't tell that this was any any fear in his heart or, or mind whatsoever. I mean, the, the room was packed. It's a conference room. Just imagine any conference room you can. Imagine it 90% full, 90, 95% of, the, of those 90 people don't like you, don't want you, can't believe you're turning your, your back on, on them. And DJ sits cold. down. <laughs> And the hearing officers asking them the questions, and I'm just looking around, and and every set of eyes is is burning a hole into into DJ, and I'm thinking this this I I I really hope we, this gets over uh, with DJ being able to provide a testimony, and we get out of here without any conflict. Physical harm. <laughs> the physical physical harm. Well, it, was it physical you harm, forget it. You know, alone, we were not. Did you have somebody else there uh, paper shuffling for you at all, or was it no, you it two was, again? I to, Sonia, I had to go on the, uh, on the prison grounds at uh, Salinas, which is old Soledad, and uh, like Lanny said, I had to check my weapon, and there's like he, other people were checking their weapons, and it was just me and Lanny against this room full of, of, of guards and staff, and and then we had a mediator in there that heard the hearing, and, and it was like a little courtroom. And, and, and sure enough, uh, you know, he took everything in consideration. And, and later on, we got the report, and we prevailed. Um, he found us at, at telling the truth, and, and the, the supervisor who threatened me uh, lying. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and it just proves a fact that, you know what, I, I don't back down to anybody. I don't back down okay, to so anybody. Okay, so can you explain the you process are. to our listeners? Like, okay, so you did not – this first process didn't happen in a court of law. So the basis of the lawsuit was the abuse um, that you that, – how did you um, frame this lawsuit? Was it like a two-tier, uh, Lanny? You know, you know, first well, about the abuse no, first, and then Tanya, them our, trying to cover our, it up? Well, Tanya, our first, our first hearing was at a packed house at the state capitol in Sacramento where, where we were invited, we were actually subpoenaed by two senators who were doing a government oversight hearing against the Department of Corrections on the Code of Silence. And, and they wanted to hear what I had to say and Lanny had to say. And, and Governor, governor Schwarzenegger was the governor at the time. And like I said, I got escorted up by Joe Reynoso. He was heavily armed. I had two California Highway Patrols guarded me and Lanny, flanked us all the way into the in a packed courthouse. I mean, it was packed standing room only with the top brass. And I had to share my story right there. And then and then shortly after that, I had to go in hiding off the grid for six months and then until me and Lanny started our, our civil proceedings. But before that happened, uh, that's when I was approached at the Mid-State Fair by this supervisor 
to drop the case and you, you know you got it in my face and I told Lanny and we, we, he filed some more charges against this individual and that's where we had to go to uh, Soledad State Prison and, and do another hearing. Um, it was just an ongoing thing and Lanny can talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so was that internal affairs at that uh, after that then that got involved? Um, uh, Tony, it, it's a it's a little more of a quagmire than that. I think. Um, I mean, after the packed courthouse. I'm sorry. Well, the the the, the internal affairs and the office of the inspector general gets involved as soon as DJ files a report. DJ is in the prison at Salinas Valley State Prison. He's, he's working. His um, supervisor comes to him and says, "Hey, DJ, what, um, what what do you hear about this green wall? Can you can you write me a report?" And uh, DJ, you know, he, you know, I'm I'm an honest guy. I'll I'll do that. He goes home and he has to think about it for the weekend. I don't know DJ yet. At this point, I don't know DJ. So he's got to sit and think about, you know, am I gonna if I write this report, what's this gonna do to my career? What's this gonna do to my family? What's this gonna do to my life? And um, there had been uh, some previous whistleblowers at the Department of Corrections, and um, it, things didn't turn out well for them. And uh, then you hear rumors about other whistleblowers who literally get uh, black bagged, which is a black bag over your head, and then punched and kicked, and then thrown into the just to the wayside. And so DJ, you know, he's got to c- come to terms with this, whether he's going to just go back to his supervisor and say, no, I'm not going to do that, or I-, I will write the report. And much to his credit, he says, "I got to write the report." I mean, I, I, I see what's going on. This can't be right. So he writes the report. Well, he writes the report. The officer, this gets somehow, DJ, and you can explain this better. It gets to the office of the inspector general, and they come down and pull you out of the prison and interview for three or four hours in a hotel room or something. What was the deal there? Yeah, what. Well, what happened, Lanny, is I, I had to write the report. I was called to the warden's office after, you know, uh, Lieutenant Lewis said, hey, you need to go see the warden. He wants to see you. So that's when I went up there, and I and he said, hey, Officer Vodica, do you know anything about the green wall? I said, I've heard about him, sir. And he said, well, do you know anything? I said, yeah, I know a lot what's going on. I see a lot and know a lot. And, and the inmates talked to me, sir. And he goes, well, I need a report from you. And I told him, said, well, sir, I, I work with these guys. I, I mean, Every day, you know, am I gonna? Are you gonna keep this, you know, to yourself? And anything happens, he goes, "Oh, Officer Vodica, don't worry about it." I said, "Well, I'll think about writing the report over the weekend." He goes, "You can't think about it if you don't. If you don't do it, I'm giving you an order to write this report." And I want it on my desk on Monday morning. I said, "Okay, if that's it." And that's when I contacted Joe Renoso at Pelican Bay, Pelican Bay, and I talked to Joe, and he said, "DJ, everything I've trained you, type it up, stamp it confidential, turn it in on Monday morning." I did. And then about two months later, I get approached in the vehicle Sallyport landing where, where these officers, part of the IA, the Green, their ISU IA, part of that unit, and, and they're about my size, like I'm 6'5", 320, and they approached mm-hmm. me down in the vehicle Sallyport, and they quoted verbatim out of my memorandum. The only people who saw my memorandum was the warden and his staff. That's it. So, and then shortly after, I lost it, and then, and then uh, Sergeant So he, Donna, betrayed, he, so he who, set you up. Oh yeah, he set oh, me yeah. up. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He, he set me up. He set me yeah. up, and then uh, 
I ended up uh, going uh, Sergeant Donahue, Donahue, a good friend of mine. We worked at Pelican Bay and Corkin together. He came down and uh, he said, what's going on, dude? What's going on? I said, I told him. He says, I'm getting a hold of somebody in Sacramento. He called OIG, Office Inspector General that worked for the governor, and they they came down and they called me and they we want to meet with you. So they brought their black SUVs down and met me at a hotel about 40 miles from Salinas, and we talked for about three hours on the tape. And then about two weeks later, they raided the prison, took the warden out of his office, took all the IAISU out of their offices, and confiscated all the evidence and materials, uh, what the Greenwall was all about. And then after that, I was I was labeled a rat and a snitch. You're a dead man walking, and the phones were ringing, and, and I had to get out of there, so they moved me overnight with the help of Joe Reynoso, who was a special agent for the Department of Corrections in Sacramento. And he talked to his high people. And he said, you got to get him out of that prison because he's a dead man if we don't get him out. And uh, yeah. they moved me that night over to uh, the prison. And like Lanny said, it followed me over there. And then you went off the grid. Well, no, I, I, I went not off the quite, grid. Not, not, not quite, not quite, no. Not quite. It, it's at, at some point thereafter that he comes to see me, uh, and and we visit about the situation, and we decide to file a whistleblower retaliation complaint against the Department of Corrections and those supervisors that put DJ in the spot. So the complaint gets filed. We go through the necessary time period, and Man, then can we I file. I ask you to explain to to our listeners because you know we've been talking about this a lot and also listeners i want you to know that we're going to get around to some key questions that i know um that i think you might be thinking so hang hang in there and we'll open up the calls for a little bit uh too and um you know just to let you know the flow of the show um you know so we'll continue this we'll open up the we'll open up the calls a bit i know that dj has to leave it a um earlier than um and then uh, Attorney Tron, and Attorney Tron, you know, I want to speak with him a bit and how it actually changed his life professionally sure. and personally as sure. well. So, so listeners, just so you, that you understand, you know, we're going to address some of these questions that I think that you might have, and also we'll open up the phones for about 15, 20 minutes and, uh, and yield some calls. Uh, but also, Tanya, I'm good for another 45 minutes, so at least till 8 o'clock. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm not pushing you off. You know, you stay on as long as you want. I just know that you uh, had said that you might not be able to stay on the whole time. Um, Lanny, I want to ask. Like, you know what? Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. You Lanny, go. Yeah, well, Lanny, um, so like after that, after that, when I had the OIG come in and all that, and, and, and then that's when I, uh, my own union told me, uh, we, we can't help you, Officer Vodica. Go, go look for legal advice on the, the outside and, and shortly after that, that's how I met Lanny, and Lanny can go from there. Tanya, you had a specific question, I think, that maybe DJ and I assume certain things that the uh, the listeners know. What was your question? Well, I, actually, I just want uh, – we know that there are a lot of listeners here that want to know how you did it. Now, you know, we understand that the corruption can come back and probably here, there, and you know, whatnot. But, yeah. I, you know, we understand the steps that you took. But who, um, what, 
I have uh, two questions, two prompts. <laughs> okay. Sure. One sure. is, what do you have to say to other corrections officers or staff uh, that what do you have to say to them that might be walking that line or, or that already are or those that are struggling uh, with the situation and really want to do something about it like you? What do you have to say to them? And then, uh, DJ, and then, uh, Lanny, if you can, uh, you know, respond in the manner of of an attorney. You okay. know, so let's – okay? Well, I'll, okay, Tanya, real quick is, is I'm, I'm, everybody, all the listeners who are officers or law enforcement or anything is documentation. Every time, every time I seen something wrong doing, I documented and kept a copy for myself. I kept policies and procedures that were written. I burned copies of that. I kept it for myself. I kept like a whole file. You can even call me a hoarder, but I kept everything. And then, and then shortly, shortly after that, and then I went to Lanny and Lanny has, you have any evidence? I go, a ton of evidence, Lanny. And I can remember this day, Lanny said, you are very, I mean, you are so good because you kept all your documents and that's just unheard of. And Lanny can go from there. Well, I, but one more part of that, though, is, like, what do you have to say to the ones that might be, um, you know, on the abusive side? You know, can you give a heartfelt message to them? The ones that are abusive to convicts and inmates, you got to look yourself in the mirror every day. And you got to know to yourself, am I doing the right thing or am I doing the wrong thing? And you know one of these days it's going to catch up to you. And, and, you know, and just because you're doing the wrong doing, there's other people around you that see what you're doing, and they're going to report it. And, and, and I take my hats off to people like that. And you are who you are when no one's looking, you know, and you have to look at yourself in the mirror, um, and who do you see, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And I, and I think much to DJ's credit, the, the message is, is one of what goes around comes around, Um and that's, you know, if you choose to live your life deciding that abuse is the, the right way to go, you are sorely mistaken about the outcome for you. I'm, I'm telling you that now. You can. And they belong you, behind the bars with the ones that they're judging and treating so badly. Right, and it just, there are just so many other things that it's not, you know, you the abusive, are, you know, aren't necessarily going to face the incarceration because, it, it, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to bring that to light. But your relationships with people around you are, are just likewise effective. And for, I, I, I give this as a very personal note, DJ is an example to my son. My son was put in a very difficult spot when he was 14 years old, and he had to decide whether he was going to blow the whistle about something that wasn't right. And he really had to, to take a, a big, deep breath and blow the whistle about some abuse that, to which he was exposed that wasn't right and he wasn't going to hide behind uh, it and and let it occur and was he scared sure but what dj taught my son and my kids is that 
if something's wrong and you know it's wrong, you've got to tell somebody. You just have to tell somebody because you can't let it, you can't let it continue. Otherwise, the abuser will continue. You, you just have to, you have to speak up. People are going to listen. There, there are other attorneys like me. There are good people out there who are documenting and seeing and will support you, and you just have to believe. It's, it's not easy. I'm not saying that. And it's, it's sometimes gut-wrenching, but if you do it, you will forever be grateful for doing what you did. Uh, there, so there's no what, other way. What do you have to say to the loved ones? of the inmates that hear these stories. Let me ask you something. If they're being told things by their, you know, by their men or women behind bars, what's going on? Is there, there's no harm, you you know, that is genuinely, um, you know, against their, you know, prisoner constitutional rights, you know beatings when there's no reason to be, you know, held back or contained, you know, the abuse of force and, and whatnot, and, and, and yeah. other things. Um, they know that contraband is being brought in um, from the inmates. Um, I mean, that's that's a, uh, for the inmates. But just about the abuse, what do you recommend the loved ones do? I'm My feelings have been, and I'm not the attorney, as I always say, is you know you you document it you document it and you document it you write down the date you write down what your loved one said uh, because there's a lot of people that are doing that now and you can turn that in to an affidavit at some point and if you have yes. enough of them that can be significant am I right there help me out yes you're you're absolutely right and the because the this other is what we have been collecting yes uh, the other thing that people should do is not to be afraid to take that information to in California we have an ombudsman now at the Department of Correction which is sort of an overseer of inmate issues and that's helpful you know knock on their door knock on your your assembly person or your your representative's door um, don't give up mm-hmm. just because people say, oh, no, that can't be. Just keep going and keep going, and it, it will gain traction. Not surprisingly. Not, not surprisingly. It's amazing when you collect enough, you see patterns of the same people, yeah. you know, and that's, yeah. that is so compelling. Yeah. And, and it, it has to be dis, disproved if it's face, if you're facing uh, if it's showing up in a lawsuit, somebody has to either prove you're you wrong or not, and then that becomes evidence, right? Right, right. And, and there's certainly the, the what we've noticed and what we've noticed in our country this year is the the power of protest, and that um, you know you can talk to. Uh, a local journalist and say, hey, I, you know, my son is from our hometown, but he's getting these problems. Can you look into it? Um, and and journalists do have the power, like your show, Tanya, to bring shed light on issues that, for most of us, we don't necessarily see or hear. 
And so... Yes, sir. Um, We're getting testimony, and that testimony is being written down, uh, sure. you know, because it's recorded. Which time? Somebody said this and that. And it, yes. Right. And, and <laughs> really, every, thanks to, to people like you, you thanks to people like you, we, we, we have an opportunity now to, to effectuate change. We get to see that, hey, someone's going to listen to my issue. Someone's going to hear me out. Someone will bend their ear to listen to me. And that's, I, I can't, I, Tanya, I can't thank you and your crew for the job that you do in shedding light on these issues because, you know, for the most part, people will see them as isolated and no bother and, you know, it's not my problem. And so, you know, thankfully... There's a lot of people that are, that are you know, stand up for, for different things in different yeah, ways. And, yeah. and, I mean, that's, things are so, so bad that, I mean, that, you know, that they're left and right. But then again, it's a small world, too. Right. When you have walked into that circle that yeah. you find each other. Yeah. yeah. But, yes, this is, we're collecting this data. This is... This is um, uh, absolutely, and and that's just, I mean, talk, vent, do all that, but this right. is why, you know, we get photographs, we get videos from the inside, yeah. you know, we get all kinds of testimony, or we have other um, people speaking out that used to be corrections officers, and, you know, it's just like, okay, it's time to catalog, but we'll still continue to gather the information, but that's it. People need to know that the way that it's going to be okay to affect change is to stand together. Right. Well, right. One thing, Tanya, I don't know one, how you two thing, did it. One, Tanya, one, one thing, one, this is DJ, one thing is the Department of Corrections in California does not like to be in the limelight. They do not like to be in the media attention because when they draw media attention, then, then they're going to be looked at and investigated. So they do not like media at all because in the prisons in California, the media is not allowed to go behind the prison wall. And you know, if I was an if I was an active correctional officer, I, I wouldn't be having a talk with you. What I see, because if they found out I was talking, they'd terminate me on the spot, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm very I'm one of the selective few in the United States can actually talk about my story and talk about it freely because they try to, and Lanny can testify to this. That they try to they put they a gag to, on they, you. They, yeah, they try to put a gag on me at the at the media conference, and Lanny looked at him and said. You want to put a gag order? We'll go to trial. Let's go to trial. And they, the Department of Corrections didn't want to go to trial because I changed policies and procedures. I, I it cost the Department of Corrections millions and millions of dollars to uh, to change policies and procedures and, and laws. Mm-hmm. I, I actually passed a whistleblower law. Laddie knows that. I, I passed a whistleblower law for correctional officers to come forward in California to uh, fear not to fear retaliation or retribution. Um, my case changed a lot, and and to this day my my case is uh, my book. It's been shared by a lot of attorneys in California, and they reference my book, and, and they talk mm-hmm. to Lanny. And, and Lanny, not too long ago, and he can probably talk about that later too, is he represented a widow sort of in the same circumstance that I went through. His, his, uh, her husband uh, committed suicide, and uh, he represented the widow in, in a similar case that I had to go through. I'm just going to tell you guys right now, Lanny Tron is the most feared attorney in the, against the Department of Corrections. They don't even want to. When Lanny Tron's name comes up, they go, "Oh no, what are we going to do now?" You know, I mean, 
The man knows the story. I see you two you know, in the back of the cover, the you know, with your, like, Blues Brothers sunglasses. You look so cool. There you go. <laughs> That was my hey, that was Lanny's idea. That that was Lanny's idea. <laughs> so we gotta lighten up just for a second. <laughs> oh. Tanya, you know, uh, Tanya, I'm I'm open up for questions and if Lanny, you know, we're if you have any yeah. people who wanna talk to us, sure. we're open up for that. Sure. Sure. Okay. Somebody okay. just asked if you can if you can practice in Oklahoma. Um well, I I know that you, I know uh, Tanya, here's the thing. I, I don't ever want to discourage people from um, calling our office, sending us an email, looking at our website. Uh, we have, if, if you want some thoughts on your case or your situation, please, please just reach out to us. I'd rather you ask someone um, and get uh, uh, some advice than sort of take it step back and not do anything about it. If we can't help you, we will find someone who can help you. Um, we have representative people. And there's people, a way to go about uh, it. States. So, um, I, I mean, we just want to make sure that if you have an issue, you you talk to a lawyer about it to, to make sure that either well, your rights, Oklahoma, are, rights are represented or correctly or, you know, um, as DJ mentioned, there was a another person who was stuck in, in the predicament <clears throat> about some things that were going on uh, at his prison in, in Northern California. And um, unlike DJ, he wasn't able to to withstand the pressure. And um, I'm so sorry, that's horrifying. Yeah, he had to uh, he had to take his own life, and it was it was sad. I mean, he was a young man, and he was a he was just a um, the world on his shoulders. It was it, the 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 burden was unbearable. But if he'd have just called me first, we could have you know we could have gotten through it. I mean, you're not whistleblowers or people that 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 see something wrong realize you're not alone and realize that the tide may be great at some points. I mean, the waves may be 10 to 12 feet, um, but it's okay. You will withstand it and you'll come out the other side and you'll be forever grateful that you did. I mean, you're doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it for all those other people out there who see the same things that you do, who want to say something that, and just, 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 don't be afraid. Uh, um, you know, there is whistleblower protection laws um, in all states in the United States, and they're good lawyers, and they're, they're good investigators, <clears throat> and they do want to, to root out those abusive people that um, shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Well, and just on that, you know, before we um, take some calls, we had a, a gentleman uh, that came out, um, that thought he was whistleblowing, and um, unfortunately, he wasn't really aware of the whistleblowing process. So he had brought in, you know, his own little personal, you know, camera on his watch, and he videotaped some, you know, it's pretty compelling things. Yeah. Um, and then he quit. And then he came out. He came out with all these YouTube videos and whatnot, and. And then they went and they arrested him because 
you're not allowed to have that camera behind bars. And, of course, you know, the same people that you used to work with, they beat the dickens out of them. Um, and uh, just just like he used to see others doing. Um, yeah. So there is a process, listeners. There is a process, advocates, to whistleblowing, um, you, you know, because had he actually already set up those protections, then he couldn't have been arrested. And you, you, I mean, you can speak to that, Lonnie, much better than me. Obviously, I'm just me. But am I right? No, you're 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 absolutely right. And and even for those who yeah. get to the point where they re- see these things, record these things, and um, you know, it in in some states, um, you need two people to. To, if you're tape recording conversations or videotaping, um, yeah, the two-party authorization. The, the, yeah, the 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 best steps to take are to record so that that you know what happened when. Um, but when you do something like that and, and you you sense that there's something wrong, you know, reach for the phone book, reach for the internet, find whistleblower attorneys, call them up, get some advice. Um, and if if the if the situation becomes so difficult that you fear that the working conditions are becoming just intolerable and so um, offensive to you, you got to leave. You can quit and you can come back and say, "Hey, I was put in this spot. You forced me to to quit. I'm going to sue you because you forced me to to quit my job, and it was because of these things that were going on." Um, there, there is a process, yes, but the most important thing to start off with is get documentation, get, get the note taking, compile your your evidence or your documents, and then report it to someone. Report it to someone. There's state agencies all over the place. You can file a little report, say, "Hey, I saw this going on. I don't think it's right," um, and then you There's got. There's very that. little faith in some states. Because uh, people don't do things the right way in some, you know, in some agencies, and and then there's retaliation, like sure. you know what what DJ was up against. But you right. still, I I mean what what I think I've learned, or you know, and kind of what I preach as a non-lawyer is you've got to dot your eyes and cross your t's because you can't jump the hierarchy unless your life is at risk. Right. Sure. So, well, did right. you report it to so and so? No. Well, go ahead and report it to so and so. Right. Uh, what do you have to say about that? That it it does seem tiresome and it does seem fruitless at points because you have to jump through so many hoops. But it's a balance that has to be struck between complaining about things that that you know are wrong and then making complaints about things that um, could be handled at the, at the workplace site. I mean, DJ going to the, the warden and, and giving the report to the warden was, was policy, was procedure. And it, the warden was then supposed to investigate what was going on and deal with the situation. Well, it, obviously it wasn't. Um, and months later, you know, DJ gets accosted and assaulted with these uh, by the green wall about, you know, why did you have this in the report? Why did you have that? What? And then, you know, eventually gets the OIG through the efforts of, 
his friend Joe Renoso and special agent at the CDC, uh, you know, you you got to you, you report it to someone. It's nice to make documentation, and, you, you know, you better make that, that documentation, but report it to someone, someone who supervisor, the supervisor, supervisor, the supervisor, 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 and say, hey, there's something going on here. And people, please, please keep a copy of everything. Don't trust that they're going to keep it and, and we'll be able to get it in the lawsuit because things have a mysterious way of disappearing. And then and one, one more question, and we'll open it sure. up if, if that's okay. I'm sorry. One sure. more. Uh, sure. Beyond the one more. What sure. do you recommend to the, to the inmates? Okay, because I know some are listening right now. Sure. What do you say to them? How can they fight for themselves from the inside when uh, they're not even allowed, if they write up a complaint report, um, they're retaliated against? Well, I mean, what do you have to say to them? Their, their, best, their best bet follows, you know, my earlier advice. Document it, file a complaint, and whatever you can do, make a copy. If you've got to, you know, trace over it or, or write it twice, and just make sure you keep a copy of it. And then tell your loved one everything so they can take those notes too. Cor- correct. And then make, sh- make sure that they have them. And then reach out to, you know, as I said earlier, just, just go to the... the the phone book, the internet. Look for whistleblowers. There are plenty of us attorneys out there. I mean, it's it's. it's what if it's you have a nice, deep... neat package full of uh, of compelling evidence? You know, from yeah. numbers and numbers of people. I, right. I, I mean, that's is that a uh, what does that cost for? You know, because it's it's not if it's not an a single incident, um, you know, like I said, you start seeing the patterns. Sure, and the, the patterns that evolve will, will be there, but I never want to discourage someone from reporting a single isolated incident because even those um, can be so harmful that it just takes once. Um, we had a situation here in Los Angeles with the sheriff's office where uh, they just tuned some inmate up and he never recovered and uh, the deputy sheriffs in the jail were dismissed and eventually got to the the sheriff and he himself was uh, was sent to prison so and it was you know it was an inc- it was that incident that that evolved into other people coming to light and other people seeing it so if it's if, even if it's it's really bad and it's only one incident tell somebody about it get it out there and that's what happens and we have these shows and all of a sudden we hear from a lot more people yeah it's empowering and so yeah. everybody needs to dot their eyes cross their keys and, and and then share those darn affidavits because we're going somewhere Tanya. Tanya, yeah. I want to. You said you had inmates listening to this, probably radio station. Mm-hmm. Me, I become as a correction officer, prison guard. So all you guys are hearing, convicts and inmates, you hear. If you call out on a payphone and you call collect to your loved ones at home, and you talk about this to your loved ones at home and let share it with them, because they can reach out and and get documentation. They instead of a going trying to get out through the prison, which a lot of times officers and staff read those things and they're going to destroy it before it goes out. And the other thing is 
when, and the other thing is, is when they're talking on that phone, everything's being recorded. So these that that, that recording has to be uh, uh, stored for a while. So it's something mm-hmm. that you know, whatever he says on that phone is being recorded, and, uh, and that's big evidence right there. Mm-hmm. Tanya, okay. are you sure you're Thank not you. a lawyer? <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> uh, I'm Why? You, you, I, I like California. I'll come out there. <laughs> I'll come here illegal. Hey, <laughs> hey if, if you can handle the wildfires and the earthquakes, you're you're more than welcome. I could probably handle that than I could most Californians to tell you about right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, except for you, of course. Uh, wow, I love California, wow. but <laughs> right now I wouldn't want to be in California given the nature of everything that's going on. But, you yep. know, hey, we'll get sure. we'll get our worlds back together again. Yep. Um, can can we take some calls? Uh, Marty, do we yes, have any absolutely. phones lit up? 917-388-4520, press 1. Uh, if we have anybody um, that would like to speak, I know that we had a few that had let me know. Marty? Okay, I'm not sure if Marty's there to man the phones right now. Oh, let me see. Don't like how this. Um, if anybody thinks they're in queue, um, go ahead and you can talk. Let me see if I can reach out to Marty, uh, if I can get her on with us. Hmm. Okay. We might not be able to take calls. Um, what I anybody who knows me who wants to ask and, and until she hears this and um, that wants to ask a question, feel free to um, message me. Uh, feel free to uh, go into. Um, uh, feel feel free to go into um, the uh, the promo and ask a question because there's a little area there. If you know me, you can uh, message me. Marty, are you there? Yeah, I am. And I wanted to tell you, I had trouble getting into the show tonight, looking up, and I'm having trouble getting the board to operate. So just bear with me. I'm working on it. I'll oh, get thank I'll you, get Marty. it. Marty. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Tanya, are you there? Yeah. Lanny, oh, Lanny was that for the? Was that a caller, Marty? Uh, she'll she'll um yeah she'll let us know when somebody's there. When when we get a call at, and I'm trying to get it hooked up, Tanya, like say something is screwy tonight, and um, okay. Yeah, I knew we had calls. I don't calls know what's going on, but I'm, all right. Well, if it works, it I'll works. Get back. Yeah. And I'll keep it yeah. up. Okay, DJ, you were going to say. Um. You know, I can't go into details with it, but uh, I called uh, Lanny this morning, and uh, they're looking into it at one of the state prisons in California. There's a uh, a viable threat on my life for exposing the green wall, and I can't go into it right now because there's investigators and big, powerful people looking into it, and right now it's possibly a a credible threat uh, for, for somebody to take my life. For somebody to take my life for exposing the green wall, and not not a convict or inmate, a staff member. Oh, and um, 
Okay, so, and the local FBI have that information, of course, then, right? Yeah, absolutely. And people in California and, and people that Lanny knows. Lanny, Lanny did make some quick phone calls today, and he's waiting to hear back. Okay, so you can't, obviously you can't say much about that. We don't want you to you know, be in worse of a position. But, oh, boy, you know, do you feel that you're traceable? Um, anybody can find I'm anybody so at any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Lanny, uh, what do you have to say uh, as a friend and lawyer? Well, as a friend, uh, scared. Uh, again for DJ um i mean he means uh he means a lot to me and to our family and so we we're we're really worried about that we've done everything we can to try to minimize his footprint so that he becomes difficult to 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 find but by the same token as DJ said if you want to um find somebody you can the the point as a lawyer is that the law protects you from retaliation if you're a whistleblower, and that's any kind of harassment you may feel in the workplace, um, any, if you're in your job uh, and you get demoted or fired or uh, written reprimands or, or just um, ostracized at work. I mean, you're prov- the the those acts are illegal or unlawful, and so you have a right to be protected um, from those. Now, DJ's uh, situation is a little more uh, unique because he's a, a law enforcement peace officer, and so those that are um, seeking retaliation against him have the means to really silence him, and that's what that's what scares me the most. Um, and I I think the overall lesson there is, and I talked to DJ about this. I said, you know, are, are you okay with all this? And he goes, Well, yeah. I mean, if this is what it takes for for them to think that they're going to silence me, it's not going to work. It's not going. I'm I'm here. I'm going to continue uh, my fight to get rid of the green wall. I mean, I've done I've done some stuff now, but I want to keep up. Right. You didn't do it in vain, right? You don't you don't want it to just creep back up like we. Right, and 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 you don't want to be scared. I mean, you have reason to be scared. There's no there's no doubt about that. But not to be scared off because. Some um, weakling thinks that this is going to make them uh, more powerful because you know they're going to get rid of DJ or they're going to try to scare DJ or they're going to. Well, it's not going to work, I, you know. Yeah, it's not going to work. DJ's told his story. It has been exposed. It's been exposed. Right. So right. whoever's and thinking of doing something like that. You know, yeah. go hit a golf club really hard. You, you, you know what I mean? I, 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 there, there's a lot. You know, DJ is one of a kind, but yeah. DJ has empowered so many others that'll stand right by him. 
and for him. You know, there's other people that are fighting this fight because of him and because of you, Vanny. And and it's nobody is going to let that mission stop. Right. Right. And, I'm so and if, sorry. So we'll all need to say a prayer if you believe in prayer. Sure. Listeners, you know, say a prayer. You know, send some good mojo and energy and a shield of protection. F4DJ. Well, I hope I, you know, uh, Tanya, where, where I live is, and Landy knows where I live, I'm very isolated. I mean, um, I was off the grid when I had to go on hiding, and the pictures are in the, you know, in the book and all that, but I'm in a similar situation where I live now. I mean, you've if you have to find me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a miracle because I live in the high country and off the grid. Not really off the grid, but in the boonies. And you would probably the see them before they see you. Um, I, they'd have to get through some two lock gates and one lock gate. They'd have to, if they had to go around it, they'd be dropping about 50 to 100 feet straight down into a ravine. So, um, With lots of alligators. Good, 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 luck, good, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, oh boy. And that's what you had to do to, uh, when you left California to keep yourself alive. Yeah, you know, and, you know, the, uh, when I was going through this whole ordeal and landing those, and, you know, I had, a, I had one uh, government uh, person call me on the phone from the Department of Justice or whatever. It was a female. She was a special agent. The first thing out of her mouth was, I can't, I can't believe you're still alive. You know what, what you did. You remember that, Lanny? What I was telling you yeah. about that. I mean, yeah. you come up from yeah. a government employee. Yeah. You know. Mhm. Mhm. So, hey guys, I gotta, I got, I gotta end it real quick. But Tanya, thanks for letting me come on for me, my sake, and Lanny, uh, thanks for being on with me. And and I'll, I'll talk to you, you soon. All right. Sure, sure. All right, buddy. Okay. Hey, have a great right. Christmas. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. We have people texting me and messaging me saying thank you so very much. We want to thank you. And uh, we'll have you on again, hopefully, okay? Yeah, real quick, Tanya, if anybody wants to buy the book, the book's on uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's The Green Wall by DJ Vodica. Great book. Fantastic book. Yes, The Green Wall. It's a, yeah, it's a, uh, okay, to learn a lot from it. Tanya, you have a caller on area code 303. Hi, 303. Thank you for calling in. Would you like to give us your name? Oh, I hate uh, when thank you do this. Thank you for having this evening. And when he says report, he says whistleblowers, who do you recommend reporting to? Um, I think at a minimum, uh, if you're if it's in an employment setting, if it's at your work site, um, try to find it's a legal uh, human setting. resources, it's a legal. HR. It's a no, legal no, no. Setting. We're talking a legal setting. Do you want to elaborate that, on that a yeah. little more without giving yourself away? It sounds like you, you know well, you don't want it. There are that's... attorneys. There are attorneys who have control of the system. Okay. Okay. And okay. Okay. Hold on right there. That that that's enough. There um whatever state you're in, 
will have uh, a, an organization, a state bar organization, that allows you to make complaints about attorneys. And mm-hmm. you go there first and make the, make the report, keep a copy of it, you know, make sure they get it. Um, and then also uh, send a report up to the governor in your state. They'll have a, a legal affairs department. And the attorney general affairs... and governor, or just the governor? It's, you know what, sister? You send attorney it to general. as many people as you can. The attorney general, the governor, um, I, I think you know, you'll get the best bang for your buck going to the governor um, because no one likes whistleblower publicity it makes everybody look bad it's you know something happening under their watch make sure you go to the the state bar association report the attorneys well, what if, if it you, is the state bar itself it's the members of the state bar who are all in cabal together doing it yeah and there's subcommittees okay. and committees you're dotting your i's and you're crossing your t's by making that complaint right lanny yes Even absolutely if, and, and I think what you can do is most states, and I, I would hope yours does, has a confidential whistleblower hotline. And we had one here in California specifically for the Department of Corrections, but we have a general one for the whole state. So give them a holler, uh, reach out to them, explain the situation, um, and just be willing, uh, as Tanya said, to to set forth in spec- with specific detail, factual support for what you believe to be wrongdoing, um, and make sure you're you're clear on, on what it is that they're what you believe they're doing wrong. Um, and then and then the law that stands by that, right, Lanny, and correct. leave out the emotion. Try. As hard as sometimes that is, that's the emotion like, set up the timeline. Right, right. And I, and I get sometimes it becomes difficult because it, these things often help happen to the complainant, and it's difficult to separate facts from emotion. You know, and I, I never dis- want to discourage people from taking out all emotion, um, but just be respectful, be factual, um, and, and get those out to the the, uh, the state agency in charge of whistleblower, the governor, the attorney general. If you don't think the state bar association is going to help, it's going to be fruitless. Um, uh, you know, I would still recommend you do it and see what they say. Uh, I get where you're feeling that they're, you know, not going to be helpful. Um, but you know. Miracles do happen. I, I don't want to say they don't. Well, I understand that when one does file with the Office of Attorney Regulation, they do need to file as if it's a, you know, a court brief. They want okay. statutes. And so that's, it is pretty sophisticated. The other thing is I just was reading on, I read on Al Jazeera.com, yeah. which yeah. I haven't found reported in this country, but it was reported on Al Jazeera.com website. There's an operation mm-hmm. income, it's called a year-long nationwide law enforcement sweep targeting scammers called Operation Income Illusion. And it's um, the director, um, Andrew Smith, from the Federal Trade Commission, Bureau of Consumer Protection, um, covering nine states with uh, federal investigators. 
Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Indiana, New Hampshire, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. Um, and they oh called in some well-heeled lawyers. Um, the Maryland Attorney General, Brian Frosch, F-R-O-S-H, called it affinity fraud, where it's a pyramid type of scheme with consumers where they're tapping in family members and friends, but we're talking about attorneys themselves. Well, if you think if you think that is is um, a, a, an avenue for you to pursue, I would encourage it. Don't don't think they. The, the worst that can happen is you're going to have to spend a half an hour or so preparing a complaint and sending it off, and and putting somebody on notice. And that's that's what you have as as the initial step in putting somebody on notice that, that you believe there's a problem. Now, that, that entity to whom you send it or that individual can return it to you and say, wrong place, go here, or you know, just throw it in the trash can, you don't know. But fulfilling that initial step by putting somebody else on notice is really what you want to do if you want to blow the whistle. I mean, blowing the whistle means you literally tell somebody that you see something wrong and you think they, they may be able to do something about it. And the whistleblower agency in your state, the, there's a federal whistleblower uh, agency. I mean, there's, there, there are avenues. I, I know it seems overwhelming at times because they want a briefing, et cetera. But listen, you know, do the best you can. You, you, don't, you don't need to, if you're not a lawyer, they can't expect you to, to file a legal brief. You know, uh, put down do. your allegations uh, to the best of your ability, file, but your they rule against are. us. They rule against us even when you file. And you're doing things pro se or pro per, are you? Yes, pro se. Yeah, and and they just think so many. Not all attorneys, not all judges. Just they they laugh at you, and they and they just think that they can over talk you when you actually probably know how to outsmart them. Um, but the thing is, if they've got, you know, if they're if they're trying to block something, they're going to do it. They're, they're going to do it, and that's why you have to keep going further and further and further and try to collaborate with other people that are experiencing the same thing. Uh, what do you think, Fanny? Yeah, I, 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 Tanya raises a good point. You, you shouldn't give up just because you think you're going to get shut down. I mean, that's, that's what they're hoping for, and that's where they win, and you don't want that. And if you really believe there's wrongdoing, um, legal aid societies across the country they can help. Legal aid won't do this stuff. And that's kindergarten. Legal aid is kindergarten stuff. Well, I mean, you can try the ACLU if, you know. They won't touch the, it either. They won't touch it either. So you've, you've tried all these sources already. Do you sure. want to say what state you're in? No. Okay. 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 <laughs> Well, uh, all I all I can say is please don't give up. If you really think there's something wrong, please don't give up. And, and just, um, I mean, you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for all those other people who are in the same predicament but don't have the willpower like you do to continue mm-hmm. fighting. And I, I well, applaud you really for... It's really basically for, the legal... It is the judiciary and the legal system. So that's pretty, a pretty big wallop. Yeah, yeah. But they're not, you know, we as lawyers aren't infallible. We're people, too. I mean, it, it can certainly seem like, 
we we have the, the all the cards in the in the in our hand, but we don't. And there, you know, there are those that will will help you out. I just applaud you for for trying and just keep going. Just if you see something. They're not wrong, all bad guys, is what you're saying. Keep keep yeah, trying to yeah, find the, the, the right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I hope that helped. I I, I don't know if it did. Um, but I certainly hope that helped. Thank you. Marty, do we have anybody else? Thank you for calling. No, not at this time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know what I want to talk with you about, and if anybody is out there um, that has a message for me to ask or whatnot, please feel free to do that. Um, what I wanted to find out from you, Mr. Tron, is, Let's talk about your life a little bit before, during, and after um, meeting DJ Vodica. And uh, because not only did this impact his life, this rocked your world and your family's as well. Sure, sure. Um, again, Tanya, thank you for uh, for asking. And uh, personally, I grew up in a small town in Canada. Uh, had the good fortune to attend Harvard University. Um, uh, very, um, very fortunate to have met my uh, future bride there. We got married when we graduated. Um, we decided that uh, Canada and, and for her Colorado was enough snow, so we moved to California. Um, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. I, I thought it was I thought it was a fascinating profession. Nobody in my family had been a lawyer, uh, but I really wanted uh, to become one and and uh, worked at a big law firm for a little while and then went to law school. And I would I would come home um, with a stack of books and reading to do. And uh, um, my wife, who was a computer programmer, would you know just to make conversation. What are you studying? What are you, and I tell her, thinking, you know, what does she know? She's not a lawyer. And honest to God, she understood it better than I did. And so I finished law school, and then I said, "Honey, you got to go. You got to go to law school because you are you are just you're you're suited for this." So um, she went to law school right after right after I finished. Um, she went to practice uh, law on. And her own career path. I went on, on on my own, and we worked in big law firms for a while, and then uh, at some point decided that we would work together. And working uh, on our own um, was interesting because I always had a sense that there were people out there that really needed legal uh, assistance or just advice and guidance. And um, at first, you know, you sh- hang your shingle out there and you hope somebody uh, knocks on your door or, or calls you on the phone and um, fortunately uh, was able to do so. Uh, DJ was um, one of those that came along that was somebody that, that really needed the help. I hadn't had experience uh, in this, in whistleblower or with the Department of Corrections uh, that much, but listening to his story and the impact on his life um, 
Kirkwood truly touched me in a way that's kind of hard to describe because it was finally a, a, an opportunity to represent someone that needed help uh, against, um, I don't want to call it a bully. Monster. But, um, monster. I, yeah. I, it, I don't want to say it's a monster because, I mean, they provide a service, and I don't ever want to give the impression that the Department of Corrections is some monster. Just some people in some aspects, they're bullies because they're so big. And so uh, DJ and I got started down this path, and um, it, I thought being a lawyer was, was a job where you could help people that needed help. And, and as I said, this was DJ. And my belief is that you get to know your client not just as a uh, somebody you represent, but as someone whose life you're impacting. And so uh, my wife and I take very um, careful consideration of that. We take few cases. We, the cases that we do take are meaningful. We represent people that we believe in. Um, sometimes they're the, not the biggest money makers, but they, they represent a principle, and it's a they they need our help. They have done a, a lot, and they've been wronged, and they need our help. And so we take, you know, cases on that, like I said, aren't necessarily the, always the best money makers, but they you you represent someone that that needs your representation and dj and i um because of his predicament because he had to go into hiding because he couldn't always be in contact with his folks and because um he didn't want to put into jeopardy those that he loved you know most of his the contact he got was from us and when his his dad did not do well, you know, it was my responsibility to get a hold of him and tell him he's got to hustle home because his dad is not really doing well. And then, um, you know, that I mean, how awful is that? Can you imagine how awful that is that you can't you have to send your son and. You know, is at that point ex-wife away so they don't get into trouble he doesn't communicate with his mom and dad his dad he just idolized and his mom was the loveliest person you could ever meet and he couldn't contact them he couldn't be he didn't want to put them into jeopardy so um we became very close and our families became very close and as the time passed you know dj wanted his son although they kept moving around he wanted to still see his son and he would often come to our home and have my kids interact with his son and just go to water parks we just live a normal life and then for that short period of time he felt like his family was together and his family became our family and our family became his family and you know it's just it I am his lawyer. Was there a time when you were afraid for your own life? You know, oddly enough, I don't, I don't know whether it was just uh, vanity or stupidity, or, but I, I there were those moments, but 
like when we were in the conference room up at Salina State Prison and you could hear the clanking of the guns, I thought, this is not going to be good if something happens here. So I, I, I did fear then. Um, this, the Senate hearing that DJ talked about in the Senate chambers, and it's not, you know, just a, a panel of eight or nine that you're talking to. It's a packed room with people that mm-hmm. do not want you to say a word. And so, uh, over, you know, I was overwhelmed, uh, never felt threatened, but, you know, this, it was a pretty big moment. You know, but DJ was pretty confident in that his, his truth never would prevail and his sweat, truth right? prevail. <laughs> never let them see you sweat. Yeah, no. Well, if DJ didn't sweat. I was, whew, I was really sweating. Um, but you know, he 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 really uh, was able to to speak the truth, and and that that meant a lot. And and we tried every which way before the lawsuit to try to get the department to you know not get sued and institute the changes that he wanted, and then they just. No, they weren't going to, and so it, you know the the lawsuit became very public, and his story became very. Well, public. How did you name? How how did you caption like the the lawsuit? I mean, what were the um, defendants' actions? Uh, you, you know, so oh, it, it was all it was all about whistleblower retaliation. Okay, that was okay. it, and right. and the whistleblowing it wasn't became, about the abuse on the on the, um, the offenders then. Right, so. The, all the allegations were that the offenses that he blew the whistle on were all the unlawful conduct of the Green Wall. So he right. got his message out about the Green Wall because he blew the whistle on the Green Wall. Um, and he wanted to make sure that in the lawsuit we did that and that these allegations <clears throat> were very specific about who did what to whom and the bringing the engraved knife into prison and having the green wall parties and, um, you know, planting evidence and scaring inmates and, and so on and so, so on and so forth. And I think, um, that's how we were able to do that. And, and for any whistleblower that wants to file a lawsuit, you just put in those allegations about what you saw and how you saw it and why you thought it was unlawful. And you just had to blow the whistle on it. And then that becomes a public record, and you know the mm-hmm. the uh, journalists that are monitoring the court proceedings will pick that up and uh, write about it. And uh, you know the publicity, the I hate to say it, but the court of public opinion is pretty mm-hmm. compelling. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. It really does move the needle. Um, well, when t- you can I tell you, Lonnie, that you know with some of the things that we out of Oklahoma exposed. That sure. you know the Department of Corrections on several different occasions they would come out with because we were really hammering on, on them it was obviously it was ruffling their feathers because they yeah. came out with these commercials that they were playing you know on their on their site because you know, most people aren't going to pay attention to that right but for their site that's out there you know to the public but that the loved ones are, you know, monitoring to see what's going on, lockdowns or whatever, whether it's true or not. But they came out with some 
commercials that if it wasn't if it wasn't true that they were exactly the opposite of what it was, it would be funny. Like they had they had a you know an offender that was wearing the jumpsuit. He looked sparkly clean, and yeah, right. he, he's pushing this car. And oh, oh, food is great, and you know I'm in rehabilitation. And it was just that total opposite of what we were bringing front and center. And I mean, you want to talk about uh, image control, but continually they, they've done that on several different occasions. And we're all like, yeah, we know better. <laughs> and now well, Tanya, what, what you have done, what you have to, you know, and I, I applaud you as I applauded the woman for, for bringing these issues to light, is in some small way, or maybe a big way, you have actually won. You have forced them to try to change their image. And now, now you have enlightened people to, to look at that and say, gee, this is weird. I just heard on the radio that you know, inmates are getting beaten up. The food is crappy. They never do our laundry. We don't get new sheets. Uh, COVID is spreading throughout the, the facility, and nobody's doing anything about it. And they put people in isolation for 24 days, and... They turn, you know, they turn out to not address mental health issues. I mean, you have, you have, created an, you have created an environment where people are now thinking, gee, that's not right. That can't be right. Mm-hmm. They can't. I've never seen a prisoner in a brand-new jumpsuit pushing around a, you know, catering truck with, with filet mignon and, you know, all that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that that's not right. That can't mm-hmm. be right. So... So again, wonderful. Good for you. Keep keep it up. But it's the, people but, like but you, you that you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's obviously there's more work to be more work to be done. You know, you have these little victories. Now that in itself isn't a victory because you got them to write a you know, to uh, do a commercial. But you know, we have little victories with little things being changed, or you know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know. But I'll never let the head of Corrections know who I'm letting know these little things that are being changed, because then they would go after that person. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Who's taking yeah. care of some things from behind the scenes? So that's sure. only like, but that's a small thing. And uh, but the point is that you know when this abuse is going on systematically on the inside, and I'll talk with you off um, off air sometime and let you know what we're doing and and sure. get your sure. get your input on it. Because I think there's a pretty good laid out plan, and and you know we have a committee working on cataloging oh, and whatnot. And this is what I want to encourage other states to do. And I know that's happening in Ohio. I know it's happening in Chicago, and a few other states. That uh, and it's it's it gets to the point where you just it, it it's like dripping out of the seams. Sometimes people are afraid that their loved ones are going to be retaliated against. So one of my questions. Um, as I'm thinking about this, and then I want to hear more about, like, your life now, too. Uh, But one of my questions is, can a loved one ask for, and how can can you steal a name because they're afraid of retaliation um, and and be protected from that? If if there's a notary or is there such thing as a blind notary? I've been wanting to look into that for a long time. You know, like if you're you're filing a... um, a restraining order, you know, you don't have to write your name if you're afraid the other person's going to see where you live, right? 
Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the law does afford protection if the if the need is great enough to to remain confidential. Um, I mm-hmm. hate to use this necessarily as an example, but uh, Roe versus Wade. There was a, there's no person named Roe. There was a, a mm-hmm. real woman behind that decision. And it wasn't until, you know, most recently that it was disclosed who she was. But the law does provide for you to, you know, if the incidents of abuse are occurring and you want to to provide an affidavit at, uh, or a declaration as to what transpired, you can provide, you know, uh, the declaration of Doe, Doe 1, Doe number 2, Doe number 3, and then mm-hmm. list out the incidents you know, provide that to whomever you want to. And if they want to come back and ask you, well, we need to know the names of Doe 1 and Doe 2, and you you're going to have to request. Yeah, they, they, they get some, and, and DJ talks about this a little bit in his book, about this, you know, threat assessment they do, and then they provide the protection that the person needs. Um, and that is an avenue that, that people can pursue to protect protect the confidentiality because I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Inmates you know, are afraid to to send out things because they're afraid of getting tuned up again and by tuned up they you know, it's it's a real physical uh, consequence and they just don't want that, so Right. Well thank you for that. Sure. Thank you for that. So so now uh, what are you doing for so I know that you said that you take on so a few, you know, a few cases, your small firm between the two of you. Um, yeah. How did this change your lives and how you look at, um, and how you look at people, whether it's a, a DJ or, and actually I think you pretty much explained that already, you know, when you see somebody in need. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, did you, did the, um, business that your law firm changed? Did you get busier? Did you get um, less busy? Um, okay, sure. Were you in the news quite a bit too? How did it, how did it impact you and your wife? And, and uh, you know, as you're going through this right by his side. Yeah, it, it uh, I can, I can tell you that uh, there, there was a, uh, a great deal of publicity that surrounded uh, DJ's case and the and the changes that that we were he was trying to institute um, and and the lawsuit itself. Um, you know, we we did our best to keep the media informed so that uh, people would know and not just you know just not let it pass through the the initial news cycle and then never hear about it again. And so there, there was some publicity, um, but our, our approach really with our firm is to uh, make sure our clients are front and center, that they, they're the ones that, that are the, that take on, whether it's the employer or, you know, the harasser or the discriminator. And, that to the extent there's publicity, that they get it because they're the ones fighting the fight and they're the ones, it's their case. We just help them through the process. Um, 
there was a definitely an increase in uh, the number of correctional officer cases that we were consulted on. Um, some we represented, some we were able to, to, to help out a great deal. You know, mm -hmm. others were just um, situations where they couldn't tolerate and they, didn't, they didn't, no longer wanted to fight the fight, so uh, took an early retirement or whatever. So that was, that was part of it. But um, we have represented whistleblowers in, in workplace situations, um, not just the state agencies like the Department of Correction, represented uh, doctors against um, state agencies mm -hmm. who are whistleblowers as well. Um, we have a practice that is, um, you know, really fights for the, the small guys and the, and the little people in the world that often don't see the, the legal system as treating them fairly and equitably. Um, you know, people who after years and years of working at a place are just summarily terminated just because they can't lift a 15-pound box anymore. And that, mm. that's, just not the, that's just not the way people should be treated. So, you know, our look is, is in, in that, that regard. Um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting uh, practice that we've had. Uh, we enjoy it because we really, it's meaningful. It's really meaningful. It, it is um, meaningful. And, you know, I had the pleasure of sitting with Stuart Levinson, who's from New Hampshire, and he was the first ever whistleblower for VA. And it's oh. my understanding it was the biggest whistleblower case at the time. He's yeah. a surgeon. He worked in um, at the uh, uh, the VA hospital in Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah. And it's just when you cannot turn your back on that. Now, you know, you go up the, the road 50 miles, the one in, um, in White River Junction is the best one in the, in the country, but you go down Route 89, it is, and, and you're down to Manchester, New Hampshire, and then you have these, you know, atrocities that are taking place. And sure. it takes one person to say, no, you know, you've got veterans that are here, that put their lives on their on the line for us right, are probably right. traumatized and yes. and you're abusing them. And this is why we need whistleblowers. And you know, Marty Oakley, who's the producer, uh, um this is you know, her T S radio is is her network. Um she's at the whistleblower summit every year with her panel on guardianship. And that's in Washington D.C. I I had the privilege of speaking there a couple of years ago. Last year was um, uh, digital, of course, or you know online. Right. But uh, but that forum, I can't encourage people enough to you know if you don't know what it is, just Google the Whistleblower Summit in D.C. It's every summer, and it is a phenomenal group of people. And it's Marcel Reed is one of the founders. Um, of that, and um, and it's a lot of work. It's just it's from the heart, and you know there are different panels on different types of whistleblowers, as well as um, you know resources, professionals that come in to talk with you. Uh, goodness, Linda Tripp spoke a couple of years ago, and wow. her attorneys were there handing out 
you know, to the to uh, people that had a platform, their whistleblower book. I mean, this is a whole world into itself. And that's why it is so important to, you know, surround yourself with like-minded people and make the most of it because you're, you're, otherwise you're out there swimming alone in the big ocean and, and you can really feel lost and like you're all alone. And, uh, again, you, you know, like that gentleman who took his life, it's horrifying. Yeah. And, and yeah. when people realize that they're not alone, somehow that just brings um, – it can bring you back to life. It really and can, and it, right? And 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 you're doing it. I, I think the, the the couple of things you should remember: there are no there are no small problems or small issues. There are only small people. If you see something and you don't think it's right, I don't care how small you think it is. You know, somebody's stealing packs of gum or, or supplies or abusing a patient by not giving them food or medication when they're supposed to or whatever. Mm-hmm. There, are no, there are no small things. Don't, you know, don't stop yourself in your tracks because you think it's too small to even bother. Don't do that. Just document it, keep it in, in, in check, and then go from there. The other thing is, and I, and I, I can't say enough about your uh, producer, I mean, to, to continue giving people an, an avenue to, mm-hmm. to say, hey, this isn't right. This, I'm, I, I don't want to blow the whistle, but this just isn't right. And I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, I believe that we can change and we can be better. So, um, so th- th- those I wrote are the something th- down that you said when we spoke yesterday, and this is your quote. You can never think the issue is too small nor can you think the change you make is too small. Right. That's what you said. And I wrote, right. I wrote it down because that's... Right. Yes, sir. Right. Never, <laughs> n- never ever think that... It, you know, to, to put it in, a, in, a, in a, a visual, think about the little mosquito that you come across in the summer. Man, when they bite, they hurt. And you feel that, and you know you've been bitten by a mosquito, and you, you know it, and you feel it, and that's just a tiny, small, little thing, but it's going to effectuate change. Here comes the insect spray. Here comes, you know. So, just don't whistleblowers shouldn't think of themselves as mosquitoes and annoying in that way. But just remember that that those small things and and small issues uh, can can be brought to light. Of, something that's bigger and will make us better will make everything better and and just keep that in mind um my wife just handed me a note she said make sure we say our our website and our website is tronlaw.com t-r-o-n-l-a-w dot c-o-m we have a uh if you want to send us a little note there about your legal issue you know we we'll respond as quickly as we can um and give you some um, sage advice. Some thoughts. Tron, T R O N. T R O N, yep. Tronlaw.com, T R O N law.com. And, yep. um, and you know what I can do is I, I, can, I can definitely uh, share you on, on some of our, our sites too. So, you know, um, you might need somebody to be answering your phone because. <laughs> Um, there's just a lot of people out there, as you know, 
um, yeah. that are dealing with this. And, you know, I can sometimes equate it to, you know, we've all seen a bully or been bullied, you yeah. know, you know yeah. when you were younger, right? Yeah. And, Even when you're older. And that's not okay, right? The bull- yeah. No bullying. That's not okay. And then, you know, when it enters into uh, the aspect of your uh, your survival, your work life, uh, your right. uh, you know, basically somebody's taking your pursuit of happiness away, sure. which we all have the right to that pursuit of happiness not being um, taken away through illegal activity through the suffocation of rights, right. due processes, right. and whatnot. Right. Um, we need to realize that these are the bullies, and unless we stop the bullies, they're going to um, bully somebody else. And you know, their goal is to get you to fall down and not get back up again. Right. Um, and that's a very personal decision that people get to make. Right. It's a very personal decision. I don't know if there's a right or a wrong. You know, you can you can out everybody's own DNA tolerance and whatnot. You know, the time of life, whatever they're going through. You know, but it's important for people to know what their choices are. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and as you said, Tanya, earlier, remember, you're not alone. You may think you're alone. You may think you're the only one that notices. You don't want to be annoying. You you just want to go along to get along. Don't. Don't. When you see something wrong, you've got to document it and report it because that's just not the way we want to be. That's not the people we are. This is, you know, we're we're working for the betterment of everyone, and they you're, you're owed the respect if you see something wrong to be listened to and then if it's a big enough problem to have the change. Right. Pick so. your pick your battles. Kill the biggest snake first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And you Hopefully don't know how big the battle's going to be until you them. complain to somebody, well, you know? I'm about ready to close down. I have a few things to say um, okay. before I do that. But, but uh, Lonnie, Lanny, you and your beautiful wife, I want to thank you so much. Uh, You're very kind. Nice just knowing I have this visual of her sitting beside you, just, you, you know, being supportive of you and what you have done together. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's just a beautiful story. Uh, so I really hey. want to thank you and, and your lovely bride. And, thank you. Uh, and it, thank you. It's, oh, thank you. It, and I look forward to chatting with you again in the future, and hopefully we can have you on again if you would um, grace our airways. <laughs> oh, that's you're you're very kind, and I I want to thank you and and Marty for having both DJ and, and I on. Um, you are a wonderful person fighting a, for a wonderful cause, and sure, whenever, whenever and however, we're we're ready to visit again. Um, thank you, you and, and like Merry to. Christmas to you. No. <laughs> right, that's right. We <laughs> almost forgot about that. Happy New Year. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. And to our listeners, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I think that what we heard tonight for some regulars that have, you know, um, that have followed a little bit about um, the things that I've been preaching, you know, things I'm personally working on with other advocates and especially with Tina Gertz, um, my partner with Journeys to Justice LLC, uh, just turning it into a nonprofit. We have to realize that that you are not alone 
and that you're taking a note, swearing that this information that you are sharing and doing affidavits, taking data, taking these notes, keeping a copy for yourself if you have trust and faith in what we're doing in Oklahoma, um, and we're expanding that as well, but right now I'm just talking about in Oklahoma, please get those affidavits in. Don't be afraid to talk. Uh, you know, it has to be followed up by not just what you don't like, but actually is it against your loved one or your rights, okay? So we need to, uh, you know, lend that issue uh, credibility by being very clear and concise. You can reach me at Antina at journeys 